When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. And we've got a, uh, another distant part two, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one goes back, what, four years now or something like that. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, we did uh, urban auto urban legends, mm-hmm. I believe, and that was way back in 2010, I think, right? Yes, sir. 2010. And August of 2010. Back when we were high-speed stuff. Yeah, I think are we? we were just maybe just car stuff, I think, at that point. Maybe. It was right know. around the turn, right oh, when we yeah. switched over from high speed. Oh, stuff. Okay, okay. So I think you you may be right, Ben. We'll have to look into it. But uh, we did do a uh, an auto urban legends show, mm-hmm. and we've done a bunch of other stuff about urban legends, kind of along the way. And I've got a yeah. few things listed here if you want to talk about it. Sure. I mean, which do you want to talk about first? Maybe the ones that we talked about initially in urban legends, or yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do let's do the ones that we did in our original Urban Legends episode. I've got a list of them here, too. Okay, good. Um, and, and just to be clear, yeah. we're not going to talk in depth about these. We just want to tell you the ones that we've already covered, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have a whole new crop of these things for today. Yeah. So here are a few that we looked at last time um, in 2010. Uh, we had the uh, Urban Legend about the interstate highway system being designed for emergency yeah. planes. That's false. Mm-hmm. Uh, or cell phones causing fires at gas pumps. Also false. Mm-hmm. Uh, wife of James Brown trying to plead diplomatic immunity in traffic court yep. is true. Because, because he was, what, the ambassador of Seoul or something, right? <laughs> yeah, he's the ambassador yeah. of Seoul. So then, that's true. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. And then we also had uh, the Portuguese barn find cars, which were worth something like $17 million. Remember yeah, yeah, that? Yeah. 200 cars found in the barn. That was false. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the red cars get more speeding tickets? That oh, was- yeah. False. Also false, yeah. Which I thought would be true. Yep. Um, we had one called The Boyfriend. I don't know what that was. Oh, that's the, um, is that the one with the uh, hook, the crazed mental patient? That could be. I think maybe that was a separate one, but okay. we did have the hook with the crazed mental patient and the uh, the lover's lane tale, right? Right, which is more of a moral cautionary tale. Yeah, so that was false as well. Uh, we had the dead car smell thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can't get the smell of the dead previous owner out of the car. Uh, that was actually kind of unknown, but likely false because yeah. we, we determined that you, you can get, get the smell out of anything. Yeah, any that's, car, that's possible. Any anyway. car smell. Uh, the rattle trap, which dealt with uh, the Queen of England and some <laughs> stuff that she found in her <laughs> right. in her Jaguar, right? And uh, th- that was true. 
Yeah, yeah, that uh, that is uh, something that really surprised us. Yeah. Um, the Queen of England found some unusual items in her Jaguar's doors, so mm-hmm. uh, you might want to take a listen to the episode and find out what that was. Mm-hmm. So. And then we talked about um, one of our favorite superstitions from uh, racing, mm-hmm. which was peanuts. Yeah, the peanut shell curse mm-hmm. uh, from about 1937, and that is true. Mm-hmm. Which is another strange one. Yeah. Um, also, we talked about wearing seatbelts. Is that more dangerous, uh, you know, versus not wearing seatbelts? Definitely false. You, yeah. You should wear your seatbelt at all times. So definitely do that. The Jado rocket on the, uh, on the car, of course, <laughs> we talked about that when we had yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, that was false. Yep. Obviously. Now people have mimicked that. Um, man, we talked about a lot of things we in this did. one. We talked about vanity plates, uh, vanity plate that read, uh, no plate. Yeah. And uh supposedly the guy got just untold amount of tickets for that, right? Yeah, it's uh it's false that it worked, but it's true that he tried. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh well, I guess true and false. Uh motorists uh paying red light tickets with uh, one motorist in particular paying a red light ticket with a a photo of money. Uh <laughs> that is true, but yeah. there's a twist to that one as well, and I thought there was a clever twist. So, you know, we'll leave that one up mm-hmm. to people to listen to. Uh, the cruise control in the RV, you know, the guy walks back, says, I've got it on cruise control. Don't yeah, worry about yeah. it. That's false, but uh, funny nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, the $50 Porsche, mm-hmm. we've talked about that one probably over and over many we've times. multiple right? episodes. I, I think so. I, I think because we both want it to be true so bad. Yeah, with a variety of cars, you know, like the old yeah. Corvette Stingray or something yeah. like that. It's always false. Uh, the bullet fuse, which is a funny one, a funny tale. Mm-hmm. A couple of hillbillies with a uh, twenty-two caliber <laughs> bullet for a fuse. Uh, that one was false. Right. And then the last one I think we talked about were kind of like these dead hitchhiker stories where, you know, someone returns on the anniversary of their death to uh, sure, a yeah. certain road. and um, La Llorona and stuff, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you hear about it later. It's kind of the uh, the Pee Wee Herman thing, you know, with Large Marge. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Tell yeah. him Large Marge yeah. sent you. Uh, unfortunately, that one's false. I kind of wish that was true. Good, because Large Marge scared the crap out of me the first time I yeah. saw that movie as oh, a kid. Oh, yeah. That was terrifying when it first happened. And then later, you know, that's the part you fast forward to. to see right. It, right. Look at the claymation. Yeah. And we had some other stuff, Ben. Now, I, mm-hmm. These are, we won't, these are ones that we covered kind of individually, I guess, along the way. Right. Yeah. Uh, we talked about, uh, the Ferrari coffin. Remember yeah. that one? Sandra West, the, mm-hmm. uh, the socialite who was wanted to be buried in her Ferrari 330 America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that one was true. That is true. Yeah. There was also shaken, stirred and dumped in the ocean. <laughs> which was, uh, Aston, right. Aston Martin, the, uh, the DB5, which was used in a 007 movie. Yep. Supposedly dumped somewhere off the coast of Florida for a, uh, for insurance or fraud scheme. Or was it? Yeah, right. that one is unknown, so we don't yep. know if that one's true or not. It was really stolen, though, in a in an amazing airport heist. You just have to listen to that episode. That one is likely true. Yeah, I'm likely I'm true. really into that one. It's a great story. That's not the also that's not the only legendary sunken car, though. Scott. No, no, we also talked about the Chrysler Norseman. And the Chrysler Norseman, both you and I, I think, love the Chrysler Norseman oh, yeah. story. Oh, yeah. And the, and the car itself. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. car. If you've never seen the Chrysler Norseman, that legend, unfortunately, in this case, is true because yeah. that's the one that uh, is still underwater mm-hmm. off the coast of New York, I believe, right? Yeah. And uh, in addition to having an amazing name for a vehicle, it's probably not going to be retrieved. No, probably not. We talked about a... Uh, a monkey that has won some NASCAR races. Oh yeah, Jocko Flacco. Jocko Flacco, a rhesus <laughs> monkey who won NASCAR race, a NASCAR race. I should um, say. and let's put some finger quotes around one. Yeah, but he, he was in the car. He was in the car. A rhesus monkey was in the car, and this is you know when they go back in the 1950s when 
It was a very different time in NASCAR, Ben, when, yeah. when something like that's going on. But, <laughs> but that was a true legend as well. Yeah. And then the last one I think that really kind of qualifies mm-hmm. as an urban legend type thing that we mm-hmm. talked about was the whole thing with Henry Ford and, um, the, uh, the bank robbers writing him notes, thanking him for the good fast getaway cars. Oh, that Dillinger wrote to him. Yeah. yeah. Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde. Well, Clyde, I guess. Right. Yeah. Wrote yeah. to him and said, what a great car. Thanks for making him so fast and reliable. We're uh-huh. able to speed away from the banks and get away from the coppers every time. And that is probably false. No, no, no. Well, well, wait, wait, wait. That's right. Oh, I forgot. It was twisted to be false, mm. but it's it's honestly this is a true story, and you'll have to listen to the episode to find out what that means. Because that's right. Yeah. There's a there's a secret letter, and mm-hmm. then there's the letter that was released to everybody. That's exactly right. Yeah. And okay. I know it's a little mischievous in the way that I'm saying secret letter and all this stuff, but if you listen to the story, you'll understand what it and, means. And you'll enjoy it. Now, I, I would say there's one other one that we covered, um, which was the cursed Porsche of James Dean. Oh, that's a good one. That's yeah. a very good one. Um, yeah, so cursed cars. Yeah, we did cover cursed cars. And we even talked about them in hearses. When we talked about hearses, there were cursed vehicles there oh, as well. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so um, so just all of this to say that if there's something we don't mention today, it's likely because we've already talked about it. Now, I got to tell you, I just listened to our uh, first Urban Legends podcast again um, earlier uh, this week, in fact, and um, I really liked it. We talked about some cool stuff. We did, yeah. It was a fun one to listen to, and I've listened to a couple other ones. Like, I listened to the Norseman episode again this week just because – as soon as I heard the word, I thought, you know what, I gotta listen to that again, I gotta read mm-hmm. up on it again, and I actually read the story that was in the book that I received, mm-hmm. where that whole thing came from. Um, fascinating story. So there's some really good urban legends out there. A lot of them have to do with, with cars. Um, not all of them, of course. You'll hear urban legends of all different types. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we, I guess we don't really need to go into what urban legends are all about or anything, but I think it's, it's helpful to know that it's always, Kind of the secondhand story. It's always a friend, friend of, a, of friend. a friend. Yeah, and there's always they're always always alleged to be true. You know, it's like somebody tells you with the utmost sincerity that mm. this is a true story. You got to listen to me. You got to pay attention to this. Mm. And you'll find that a lot of reason, a lot of times, the reason that happens is because there's a, a moral to be told there. There's a yeah. a moral story, uh, something that you know, a lesson to be learned in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And and not just that. It's that. You know, there's a lot of different variations of the same story that we'll hear. You'll hear, you'll see that um, the the topic um, is, generally falls under one of these type of categories. Okay, so there's things that people gossip about. So you'll find that you know, death and sex and crime and contamination and technology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ethnic stereotypes, celebrities, sure, um, topics of like that that are just horrific yeah. or you know, be, somehow being the system. Those are those are kind of giveaways that you're listening to someone who's telling you a an urban legend. You know, you have mm. to pass this on, otherwise, um, you know, somebody's not going to be informed and something terrible is going to happen. Right. Forward this email to ten of your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's either usually it's usually just really really a strange story, almost too strange to be true in a lot of cases, and you'll find out that that's that's truly the case, and that in most cases it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things kind of pop up now and then. Um, online, of course, that's, that's one place where these things have really, really, oh, yeah. I mean, just, I don't know how, they're very prolific, I guess, in that, you know, these stories that had once been passed on, you know, like maybe over a campfire somewhere mm-hmm. or, you know, via handwritten notes that people had sent to other people. Sure. Now with, with online access and email access, everybody kind of feels free to spread these stories anywhere and they don't really have to give it a source of any kind. They can just right. say, a friend of a friend of mine said that this mm-hmm. happened to them, so watch out for it in this area. And 
oh, the chief of police in this town that's the next town over said this. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this uh, this thing where people say, well, I better heed this uh, this advice. And you know what? I think I better tell my mom this because uh, she would really need to know this because she's out, out late at night often and she right. needs to know this as well. So I'm going to send it to her. She's always picking up hitchhikers. Yeah. And we should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we should send, you know, that she, she should send that to her friends as well. So let them know. That's how this whole thing goes. And, and these online stories, it just seems like with the internet, it's really just exploded. Yeah. They, they thrive mm-hmm. in, in the presence of the internet. Now, one other thing that we should also mention is that often, these stories are kind of like what you would hear on, you know, lifetime movies. They're inspired by true events. So there might be a grain of truth that um, has just sort of found uh, like a like a grain of sand. It's found its way into the oyster of public consciousness and it just keeps growing and accreting more layers. It's become a beautiful pearl of absolute BS. Of lies. <laughs> of a, pearl, lies. a pearl of lies. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, uh, you're going to see that, that, you know, a lot of these are going to be familiar when we talk about them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I just want to say that we went to Snopes for for our list here. Yeah, for and a lot of them. Of course, we went there because that's one kind of the, the place, the one place where you can go that kind of dispels what's true, what's not true. And they do a lot of really great research there. Right. And they find out, you know, where these things originate, where all of this comes from. Mm-hmm. And there's no way the the list that I've got, I've got maybe a good 10 or 11 here. Oh, cool. That uh, we can start with. And I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep in them because if we were just read every one of them, it would be very boring. Right. So we're going to kind of summarize them and you can go online to snopes.com and look up the exact same things. And they have a fantastic section that is just st- simply catering to automobile urban legends. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different categories. And I mean, there's some of the, the, there's like maybe 14 categories. Yeah. And it's stuff like insurance, uh, mechanical stuff. Yeah. Um, cursed cars. Cursed cars. Yep. Yeah. Dream machines. Dream machines. Grand yeah. theft auto. Mm-hmm. Auto erotica, mm-hmm. um, which is cars and love affairs. Don't get any wrong idea. <laughs> uh, motoring mishaps and yeah. traffic accidents, things like that. So there's this huge, big group of, 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 um, automobile stories out there that you can just kind of delve into and you could easily spend a day looking through this or a week looking through this really. And if you followed every link and tried to follow up on every story, it would take you forever, but they've done all that work for you. Mm -hmm. And, um, one thing that they pointed out here, and I want to, I want to do this before we get into this, this whole thing of, you know, starting with our first urban legend. Um, I was kind of wondering why people gravitate towards urban legend stories that that have to do with cars a lot because I've heard a lot of these through my life and I don't know if it's just because you know my dad was into cars mm-hmm. my, myself my brothers are into cars I wonder if we just kind of heard these stories because that's what we we're into and I heard plenty of other urban legends as well but sure. that seemed to be the main focus and then I realized that it's kind of like this is something that almost everybody can relate to almost everybody has a car almost everybody's on the highways at some point in their life you know and there are a lot of these have to do with being just in the car driving right you'll find that you know like the, the light flashing type thing or whatever um but a lot of people can relate to these stories and they say that you know cars hold an important place in our hearts and this is from snopes they're at, all at one time they're practical and whimsical they're reliable and yet still frightening they're, they're uh, mundane yet still exciting they're necessary and exotic at the same time, and they're also commonplace and also very mysterious at the same time. So they've got this this whole yin and yang type thing mm-hmm. going on, right? And in other words, they're they're kind of like a mechanical expression of everyday life, if you want to think of it that way. That's a really smart way to put yeah, it. Yeah, I think it is, and and it really kind of summarizes why these auto urban legends are are so um, 
I don't know, so prevalent in our in our culture. And so, you know, so often we hear about these things. And, you know, I just mentioned the, the light flashing type thing. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have heard that, the gang initiation thing. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that later in this. But um, a lot of these begin with kind of the have you heard line. Yeah, yeah. Of I've got, um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start with one. Oh, uh, please do. Just that also we should say, Scott, a lot of the stuff that you're going to hear me talking about in this podcast is going to be related to various uh, conspiracy theories surrounding the automotive oh, world. perfect. And yeah. I think they dovetail together nicely. So here we go, my friend. Have you heard about that miraculous car that got 200 miles to the gallon? Oh, this is a good you remember one. Remember this one? I do remember this one. So here's the story. Uh, there's a guy who's worked for General Motors for years and years and years and years. And uh, after he's finally going to leave and he's retiring from it, um, the company gives him a car as a retirement gift, you know, just an experimental mm-hmm. car that wasn't going to go anywhere. And, uh, of course, this being in the heyday of GM Union employees and stuff, uh, he's got a nice pension, too. So his ticket is written. Uh, he can pick a car that he wants. So he picks a Chevy Caprice. Nice car, right? Interesting choice. Interesting choice. Um, and he likes it. He, you know, it's roomy. It's comfortable. Um, he's driving it for a while. And he thought, you know, I'm a good employee. I'm not going to get anything too showy or expensive, right? Um, he notices that no matter how much he drives, the gas gauge is barely moving, right? It so, must be broken. Right. So at first he thinks, okay, well, the fuel sensor's messed up, right? So uh, he goes to the factory. They look at it. Um, he gets his car back after uh, the mechanics act a little bit shady. And then he notices that its gas mileage is working, right? Mm. But the thing is, he knew that there was still gas in the tank and everything. And um, he learns that what GM did was replace his Chevy Caprice because the model that they had given him was a secret developmental model that had amazing gas mileage that big auto conspired to keep from the public mm-hmm. and that this is just the tip of the iceberg uh, as far as that goes. So a super secret car. Right. We've, mm. we've heard that. Um, we've heard that thing. And, you know, like we said with other urban legends as, you know, like series of, different um different endings or variations on a theme right like maybe mysterious men from gm show up at the guy's house at one day or maybe they're not gm you know maybe they're ford Mm -hmm. and um then they have um they have other things that happen but they all have the same result the car is taken away and you and i along with john and jane q public are stuck getting gouged by inferior technology. Sure. They replace it with a regular car. He gets regular gas mileage then, and that car is uh, shuttled away to some warehouse somewhere, right? And if you don't forward this email, no one will ever know the real story. Yeah, they'll know that GM is holding back on their 200-mile-per-gallon car, right? Right. And as we know, uh, that story is unfortunately false. Yeah. And uh, you know you know what? Right away when you said uh, he could choose any experimental vehicle or whatever that right. he wanted to, you know, that that right away tells me. But also the fact that, um, well, he took kind of a mid, mid-range mid type car. That's another kind of giveaway, I guess. You think that somebody right. like that would choose something, I don't know, maybe a little flashier. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, what would the last one be? I guess maybe that, um, 
you know, if GM, I guess this is the biggest one, really. If GM was holding on to a, a car that actually got 200 miles to the gallon, I think they would release that immediately because they would be sell, selling it. They would sell a, a billion of these things instantly. I mean, right. it, would, it would, before it was copied by everybody else, of course. Yeah. They would, they would sell out and it would be, uh, it would be a huge, huge success. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's not that, although it's easy, I think, if you're just in the public, I think it's easy to conflate the mission of an oil company, which maybe will, will be, of course, to find the most sustainable and profitable way to sell petroleum products. It's not the same mission as a car company, which is to find the most sustainable and profitable way of selling their products, which are cars. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, This actually, this goes back. It's interesting because this kind of thing goes back to the 1930s. That's one of the earlier stories of, you know, the miraculous invention theme. Uh, Charles Nelson Pogue, uh, patented a carburetor that was supposed to get 200 plus miles to the gallon. I've heard that one. Yeah, huge to do about it. I think this is one of the earliest origins of that kind of evil big auto thing. Sure. Yeah, um, and we still hear about these today. I mean, even up until present day. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that goes back 85 years. I mean, the car has been around for what 120 years, something like that. This is uh, this this goes back 85 of those years, maybe even longer than that. Who knows, really? I mean, probably word of mouth that went back farther than that. Yeah. Um, although mileage wasn't a huge concern back then. Well, I will bring up another case later in the show. Just want to plant that seed. All right. I'm going to have one that's just a little bit more whimsical, I guess. Okay. 
All right. And uh, this one is a legend. I'll just tell you right up front. It's a legend. Uh, it's one that's definitely not true. There's no truth to this one. Oh, uh, it's just, on. but, but what it has is, and this has a, um, well, you tell you what, I'll tell you a little, the little synopsis of the story and then, and I'll tell you what it, what it really comes down to. Um, this one is about a motorist who mistakes a dustbuster, you know, like a vacuum cleaner, a small handheld vacuum yeah. cleaner for a fuzzbuster radar detection device. <laughs> so the story is that there's a guy named Sergeant Larry and he, you know, this is just a general story from about like two, this comes from about, you know, 2000. So, you know, online, I think it was somewhere online. Um, Sergeant Larry comes up to the car and he can hear, he hears this humming sound as he approaches the car. They just pulled over for speeding and it's an old lady driving this, this uh, elderly, elderly woman and she's cursing these grandchildren who weren't even in the car. She's like, you know, damn kids, you know, grandkids, whatever. And he's wondering, like, okay, there's no one in the car. What's going on? He says, he says, ma'am, what about the grandkids? And she says, well, they told me to put a dustbuster in my car and I wouldn't get a speeding ticket. And so he looks on the dash and there taped to the dashboard is a dustbuster that's whirring away. Uh. You know, it's, it's on. And Sergeant Larry says, I think you've mistaken a dustbuster for a fuzzbuster. Um, and he gives her just kind of a warning and sends her on her way, right? And that's yeah. really funny. And everybody, you know, it depends on the way you tell it. I'm not a very right. good joke teller, but you know, along the way, you know, you get the you get the idea that you know this lady is making a uh, a, a critical mistake here. Sure. You know, mistaken the dustbuster for the fuzzbuster, whatever that her kids and grand, grandkids mm. said. What this comes down to is an urban legend, kind of a common theme, I guess, and that is a clueless female driver or a clueless elderly driver. In this case, it's both. And, and sometimes this is going to come down to clueless foreign driver. Mm. And this is a theme that you'll see throughout this whole thing. I mean, throughout any automotive urban legend, you're going to find these, these main themes that come up. And, um, it's just one of these, these things that like will pop up in different ways. And, and here's another version of that is that there's, of course, another clueless female driver who drives, is driving down the road and she passes what she thinks is a microwave on the side of the road. A microwave oven. It's okay. just sitting there on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And she thinks, oh man, this is, this is extremely lucky. There's no one around. It must have fallen off of a truck. Um, I'm going to pull over and see what this is. So she runs back and gets it and she's thinking, you know, puts it back, puts it in her car in a trunk and heads off down the road. And she's thinking, this is so lucky because my conventional oven has been, you know, on the fritz and, you know, I've been having a hard time cooking dinner for my family and mm-hmm. uh, my neighbors are always bragging about their fancy new microwave ovens that they've got. And, you know, the way that's the way to cook. Right. Right. So she gets a little ways down the road and the police pull her over and she's very nervous about this. Like, why would they pull me over? Right. So she pulls over. They ask her kind of what she's doing, what's been, you know, what's up. And she says, oh, nothing, just taking a drive, you know, down the road. And she's really clearly nervous, right. agitated. Right. Yeah, and they yeah. say. Well, do you uh, do you have anything to say about this? And they point into the the hatch of the car, and they point to the the box that's back there. Mm-hmm. And she's she's real sheepish about it, and says, "Well, I thought it fell off the truck. You know, I just wanted the microwave oven." And they say, "Well, that is a uh, that that is a radar speed trap box, and we've been watching you ever since you picked it up off the side of the road." <laughs> so she picks up this <laughs> police device that's meant for speeders, mm-hmm. and throws it at the back, thinking it's a microwave. And it's it's just one of these things where, like, this is a again. This depiction of a clueless female driver mistaking right. something that is so obviously not a microwave oven, but mm. you know, it makes for a funny tale. Yeah, and, and, and it's not true. No, it's not true, because, and it gets twisted around. You'll you'll yeah. find a bunch of stories like this. Yeah, and I think you're right that those kind of go into a, a, a whimsical thing, and of course, it's 
it's playing on gender stereotypes mm-hmm. or age stereotypes. Yeah. And they'll throw in a funny line like it's going to be hard to cook your dinner for your family dinner with that thing, you know, as they point to it or whatever, yeah. you know, and and it, you know everybody gets a good chuckle out of it and that's kind of the punchline to the joke. Yeah. And that's and that's the whole thing, but the, I guess the uh the underlying theme again is that clueless driver. And you know what? Speaking of theft, I've got a pretty good one for you here. Okay. Have you heard that Thieves armed with uh, some high technology can break into your car just by recording the signal you use on your fob. Is that right? That is right. And uh, here's, here's how it goes. Now, you and I did an episode about the idea of remotely hacking cars earlier. And what we found was that it it is A, possible, and uh, B, requires a little bit more work than you might think. Yeah, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, it's... it's um. It's pretty difficult, but it is possible. So uh, there are some very smart researchers who have been working to prove this stuff or find security holes so that they can patch those holes for car owners. Um, as far as the likelihood of that happening to you, I'm going to go ahead and say it's low because the kind of technology that we would require for this to happen um, would mean that the thieves would be professionals, not some, you know, bad kids, not some hooligans or delinquents just palling around to joyride. Um, it would also probably mean that your car has to be worth the effort. So that means for, I'm sorry, guys, the vast majority of car owners, uh, it's just not worth the time of a thief who is sophisticated enough to maybe be pulling supercars. Yeah, they're not going to be hanging around me in the parking lot. Don't beat yourself up, man. No, that's true. Uh, yeah, they'll probably be after my car. It's, yeah, uh, they're after the Monte Carlo. They're after the Monte Carlo. I'm sure of that. I'm sure, and I'm convinced. Oh, which, by the way, and it, this is a complete side note. Yeah. You mentioned to me that your your Monte Carlo is rated for mid-grade gas, and I was uh, I was kind of poking fun at you for buying mid-grade gas, but you definitely should be buying mid-grade gas if it, if if it, it says it. If that's the rating. So that was way off off target, but uh, we talked about that during the Dwarf Cars episode, and if you listen to that one, you'll understand what I mean. But uh, I apologize, Ben. Hey, there's no need to apologize. Okay. Maybe it's an maybe gas is an urban legend too. Gas ratings. Let's all just use regular fuel and everything. Regular <laughs> fuel and well, jets. You know, there's probably something in there for that too. Are you? Uh, you yeah, you yeah. Have I'm more on that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got one that I'm going to quickly go through here. Uh, this is about a fine for speeding. Now, if this is a, a this is false, I'll tell you right okay. up front. But they say that if you slightly overpay the fine for a traffic ticket, it'll keep the points off your driving record. Now, oh. why would that happen? Now, why would you pay more and get the points off? And maybe you think that this is like an extortion, or not extortion, but a bribery type thing, right? Sure. Like, like, like here's a hundred bucks. How about we don't uh, let those points show up on my license? Frequent right? driver miles. It's nothing like that. This is totally different. And it's not what I thought either. What happens is, and this is uh, one of those pass this along type things, and it comes around at, at about 1998 is when this started. Okay. Um, so it goes way back. Um, but I guess the idea is that if you pay for your, your traffic infra- infraction with a small amount over the fine, like let's just say a few dollars over. Right. So like let's say it's an $80 ticket, you pay $83. Okay. Something like that. That's yeah. a minor amount. Um, they, and you, you have to mail it in. You have to mail in a check. Um, that's the only way this will work. So you overpay. Then they have to, by law, send you back a check for $3. Okay. And, what you do then is you hold on to that check for three dollars and never cash it. You just you just leave it out there as kind of an a, as a 
an unpaid check, I guess. Okay. And you're sure that you never cash it because until all financial transactions are, are finished, they are not allowed to proceed with that, with oh. that fine. And on the surface, this sounds like it's going to work, right? It sounds like that's, that may be, that may be something worth uh, looking into. It sounds illegal. Well, it does. And it sounds, it sounds very clever, doesn't it? It sounds very, uh, like it's too good to be true, which we talked about as being a, a you know, something. Yeah, that, one of the red flags. Yeah, exactly. One of the, yeah, exactly. So, but the idea that, you know, the, the system has its money and it won't bother you with the points is, is completely false. Um, once you pay that, and even mm. if you do overpay and they do send you a check back, that transaction is going through. Now, it's not to say that it's never happened because there's probably been a case where something has slipped through the cracks. Right. There's probably, also probably been a case where, you know, you didn't pay the fine and it slipped through the cracks, but it's not kind of, it's not a cause and effect thing. It's something that has happened coincidentally in the past, mm. but it probably will never happen again. I mean, it's, it's the likelihood of it happening. Don't again bank is, on it. it. Yeah, exactly. So don't bank on that one happening. That's a uh, that's a false statement. Wouldn't so, they also cancel the check after ninety days or something it, anyway? Exactly, Ben. That would happen, and then the the points would go on either way. And I don't think that's the way it works, anyways. Once you get the once you get the ticket, you pay the fine because you're yeah. saying I'm not going to bother to show up to court. Here's my fine. Here's my fee, I guess. Mm-hmm. They would automatically enter that as okay. The the you know that's paid and the points are issued. And then oh by the way, we have to send a check for three dollars back to this guy because he overpaid. And a little bit of additional myth busting uh, for the tall tales of diplomatic immunity and parking tickets. Uh, this is pretty interesting. There are quite a few um, foreign dignitaries and their staffers who have racked up just an obscene amount of parking tickets. Uh, they're not being prosecuted usually because it's kind of a courtesy, mm-hmm. but, uh, make no mistake, it's still, it's still illegal. Um, diplomatic immunity is a lot more of a safeguard from, um, unwarranted imprisonment, uh, than it is get out of, get out of jail free monopoly type thing. Yeah, it's not when, uh, you know, I think we've seen this on television, everybody has, or in a movie, when they, mm. they double park in the city, yeah. they jump out and they, they say, uh, you gotta move this car, and like diplomatic immunity or whatever, yeah. you know, they just shout that as a, as a way to get off of every ticket, every speeding ticket, anything. Right. Anything They're not supposed up. to do that. That kind no. of stuff can happen. And to, to answer, um, a question that I had heard from somebody earlier, um, they, they, presented the following hypothetical. So what if you work for the State Department and you're, you know, head of a consular office or something? So you're not an ambassador, but you're high up enough that when you're stationed somewhere, you could potentially have diplomatic immunity. Um, does that apply in the United States? The answer is unambiguously, emphatically, with one million percent certainty, no. Nope. Mm-hmm. Being in the State Department does not should not legally get you out of any parking yeah, tickets. So you're out of luck. And you know what, by the way, guys, if you were planning to go into the State Department for that reason, you were already in the wrong line of work. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Seek other employment opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. I right. think, uh, let's see, you want to go next? How, you know what, I've got a stack of them, so let me do one one more quick one. We'll yeah. hit one with you, and then maybe we can talk about, um, oh, an audio book that I am very uh, excited about. Okay, yes. We'll do that in a minute, but right. I, I truly am excited about this one. It's really okay. cool. All right, so this one's called, uh, in, on Snopes, it's called Dotsons and Daughters. And <laughs> what it's about is, now, just this is kind of a legend, I guess. All right. Um, hilarity ensues when a clueless car owner misreads the model name of her family car. So 
right away, you know, here it is, the clueless car owner again. And this is these have a lot to do with a female car owner calling into a parts desk, a parts counter, and saying, I need this part. Okay. Mm. And the, and they're trying to decipher what she means by getting that, right? So um okay, so the woman calls an import parts warehouse and asks for a twenty out twenty eight ounce water pump. And the confused parts guy says, well, what do you mean a 28-ounce water pump? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, my husband says he needs a 28-ounce water pump. It's right here on the note. <laughs> and he says, I, I don't understand what it means. And and she says, what kind of car? Well, they say, what kind of car does it fit? And she says, a Datsun. And he writes out Datsun 28-ounce water pump. And he goes, he slaps his forehead and he says, 28-ounce <laughs> is 280Z. Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, if you write these things out, you'll understand what it is. And what it is is just a play on words. And this is clearly somebody who was looking at it one day and said, "It looks like twenty-eight ounces. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of work this into a joke somehow. How am I gonna do this?" Uh, I don't know, man. I'm gonna have to respectfully disagree. I think something like that has probably really happened. Do you really think so? Oh yeah, maybe because there's other cases now. There's one that you know. Uh, okay, here's a case where they say in quotes a foreigner. Called in and asked for a, um, you know, a, a repair part for a Pontiac Ghoulie. And you say, what's a Pontiac Ghoulie? Well, that's a 6000 LE. If you write it out, <laughs> the, the six looks like a G kind of in a, in a way, I guess, if you write it sloppily, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, a Ghoulie and the LE part is the limited edition. So Pontiac 6000 LE becomes Pontiac Ghoulie. See, okay, that one is possible, but I don't believe that one okay. is easy. What about mispronunciations? Like okay. uh, a woman, of course, it's a woman again. A woman looking for a part for a Pontiac Gutto. Oh, man. That's a Pontiac GTO. I know. Yeah. That's just so sexist. A, a Gutto. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then here's probably, this is a funny one. There's not even a vowel in it. <laughs> I know. I and this is a funny one, I okay. guess. I, and the same type of thing. You know, they call in the parts, parts department part, and she's looking for a uh, a 710 cap. And the woman needs a 710 cap, and she's emphatic that I need a 710 cap. And the guy just, they just can't figure it out. And there's yeah. a lot of funny exchanges back and forth, yeah. like, well, what kind of car? And what, you know, where does it go exactly? And they try to figure it out. And then finally, the mechanic or the, the parts department guy writes down uh, 710, turns the paper upside down, and it reads oil, O-I-L. So if you look at 710 and you write, you flip it upside down, it's, it's oil. No way. So she's looking for an oil cap. No, she's, that's. I know, I know. It's, that uh, it's, that but, can't be real. Well, of course it's not. It's a okay. legend. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the reason. So, you know, these, these things are really funny, but, you know, these are, these are funny tales to read, but it's also something that you can relate to because you'll, you'll see some of the stuff passed around online as jokes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But these go way back. I mean, some of the stuff like that, that 710 cap. That could go back to the dawn of the automobile from when they started yeah. labeling it as oil on the cap. It doesn't have to be a 280Z that, you know, came about whenever. Right. Yeah. This could go back as far as, you know, the car itself. I think that's one of the strangest things. It's, it's, um, how old the, the sort of DNA of these auto urban legends actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, before I go to the next one, which I think will be a mutual favorite of ours, let me follow up on that audio book you mentioned. Oh. Uh, What's going on here? Is this an audible.com selection? This is a, this is a star as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wow. And, okay. and I'm, I'm not kidding with this one. I'm a true crime fan. We've talked about, in fact, just before this episode, we were yeah. talking about true crime, mm-hmm. right? And versions of that, right? This one has a lot to do with it. And it's not so much murder as it is just true crime. Okay. And you'll understand as I go through this, but I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. It's a great story. All right. Now it's about two hours and 17 minutes long. And the name of this one, again, on audible.com, it's an audiobook. It's called Big Rigs, Posh Digs, Fast Cars, and Dark Bars. 
I love the title. <laughs> it's kind of a funny title. Yeah. And what it is, it's about the greed-driven, sex-enhanced ride that cost Aero Trucking Company $90 million and its life. What? Now, this is what, okay. this is, this is the event. This is the, the, the book that tells you the story or chronicles the story of how Aero Trucking Company went out of business and why. And a lot of people have a very heavy interest in this because, of course, the, what you'll find out happened to the company, you know, that, that alone is, is big deal. This is a book by Charles Hood. And what it is, it's, and I'll read just the summary and then I'll tell you what it's really all about. Um, it says it's a true story of crime and road rage. Um, in the executive suite of one of America's leading trucking companies, and the headquarters was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the story kind of begins, and I'll I'll make a super fast summary here. The story kind of begins when this highly highly regarded founder and owner of the Aero Trucking Company, his name was Jim, is killed in a hunting accident. And there's nothing you know unusual about that. Just it was a hunting accident. It just happened. Uh, but his widow appoints their only son Douglas to be the new CEO of the company. So there's this massive company that now this kid is going to be appointed the CEO of. So nepotism, of course, is what's going right, on here. But yeah. um, the kid has zero qualifications, no qualifications at all. But he's, quote, the apple of his mother's eye. Oh, good. And that's his qualification. That'll work out. He had no work experience of any kind of business at all. He had a high school education only. He never worked a single day in his life prior to this. And he was known as what they called an arrogant party boy. So this is the guy that's now in charge of one of the, the nation's largest trucking companies because his mother decided to, to appoint him that. So at one at one time, just to give you an, a quick idea, the company was extremely successful under the previous owner, his father, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, they owned 1,200 tractors. They had 1,400 flatbeds. They, were, they had very, very little debt. Wow. And they had something like 1,400 employees and revenues that exceeded $250 million annually. That's wonderful. So it's a great, great yeah, company. It's to very work Eight years later, after after uh, Douglas takes over, the company had just $8.5 million in assets and $99.7 million in liabilities. Whoa. So eight years later is when this whole thing kind of came about. Now, it happened in a long, slow slide, and that's what the story is about because Dougie, as they called him, uh, he led a lavish lifestyle, as you can imagine, and he had moved something like $40 million into his own personal accounts to support his lifestyle. Uh, one thing that he did that was just kind of outlandish, he bought a, a Dallas, Texas stripper, a Porsche, as a gift after seeing her perform on stage and had it delivered to her house on an aero, on an aero trucking flatbed truck. So that's one example of kind of this extravagant, extravagant life. Um, and then, oh, and then later, this I'm not giving anything away, really. Sure. This, this, there's more. There's plenty more than this what I'll tell you. This The stripper ends up leaving him. For a female news anchor on a, on a television station there locally, who is also the wife of a prominent businessman in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So there's this Whoa. great big intrigue story that's going on as well. Um, he hired somebody to maintain his closets and to change light bulbs in his house. He spent he would regularly spend eighty thousand dollars on an American Express um, credit card that the company had issued him. And then I said regularly would spend eighty thousand. So that's multiple times he would spend that amount. Um, just there's, and there's a lot more than that. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. On is this he one. alive today? He is. Yes. And, um, the company closed in December of 2009 and here's how they found out. Now this is Christmas time, December, 2009. They found out the, the fuel cards for the, for the trucks. Now they're all over the oh, U.S. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. They just suddenly stopped working. Yeah. The fuel cards wouldn't work and they get this in cab message, message that says, just leave your truck exactly where it is. Find your way home. 
Aero Trucking is no longer in business. And that's it. That's how this whole thing ends. That's horrible. It's, and this story, and I'll tell you, it gets, it's more gripping than what I'm making it out to be. Yeah. It's really a good story. And there's so many different angles to this thing. And this is not a story for kids. No, it's not. It's definitely not. But you can check it out for yourself if you go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash car stuff. Let them know that Scott and Ben sent you. You can get a free download of any audiobook of your choice. We're not saying it has to be this book. But we are saying that this book is fantastic. I'm actually going to go download yeah. it, too. And, and one minor, minor thing. The narration, when you first hear it, because I listened to the sample and I haven't downloaded the book yeah. yet. The sample, it sounds a bit uh, echoey. And okay. after about two minutes, you get past that, I promise you, because I listened to the sample, and by the end, I didn't even think about this, because the story is so fantastic, it overrides any of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit echoey. Truly, stick with it for the two hours, and you won't even think about it at the end, because the story is going to be so gripping. Yeah, and um, also, on that note, um, I'm glad that you mentioned the true crime stuff that we both really enjoy. Uh, everybody listening, let us know if you have some uh, true crime auto stories that you would like to cover. Oh, that's That would one. be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, which brings me to something that I think we both have, Scott. Um, do you remember that Johnny Cash song, One Piece at a Time? I do. I really enjoy that song. I do, yeah. I love, I, you know, I'm a sucker. Cadillacs, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cadillacs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, it wasn't, it was kind of an amalgamation of a Cadillac after yeah. that. But this reminds me of a real life urban legend, uh, that a, here's the claim. A group of former GM workers produced 1957 Chevys on their own, kind of like in the song. Yeah. For 10 years. For 10 years. After oh, yeah. production ended. Yeah. The, now I have this one. I have, Ben, you and I both have this one. We were looking across the yeah. table at each other. I have this labeled as the best one. Oh really? And I think it is. I think it, I think this is the best one out of my whole group of stories. So, I, I mean, it only appears once in print outside of Snopes, of course. Uh huh. I mean, there'll be uh, there'll be allusions to it, I guess, elsewhere. But they all go back to this one case, this one instant instance, and that is the People's Almanac of 1975. That's the only place that this story ever appeared in print, as as I guess you could say as fact, other than. Hey, by the way, did you see this? And did you hear the one about that type of thing? Right. right? So it goes back to 1975, and it's obviously, well, I think it's false, Ben. I think, I mean, it's got to be false. Yeah. Um, I think it's been proven to be false, really, mm-hmm. because uh, the story is that you know these uh, these these designer, this designer, this one guy in particular, his name right. is Ardell uh, Malowick, I think. Is that how you say it? Ardell yeah. Malowick. He was an ex-GM stylist, and he was unhappy with GM's decision to change the Chevy design in 1958. They were going to switch over from the the fin design, like in the 1957, which was well popular later, but not at the time. Yep. Um, they were going to change over to uh, remember the uh, longer, lower, wider mm-hmm. whole chant, I guess that yep. they uh, had there at GM yeah. and and everywhere really. They were going to change over the design for 1958, which they did. But this guy apparently he he definitely didn't want that to happen, right? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. 
and paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, eventually, Ardell, uh, according to the story, quits GM this round 1957, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he and some other like-minded men do a mutiny. And, and these are uh, some, some of these guys are also former employees of GM. Uh, so they leave and they buy their own auto assembly factory somewhere in southern Illinois, just a little place, I guess, as factories go. Um, he wasn't able to get a hold of the, the molds and the steel presses that Fisher and GM used to make the body. So instead, they do coach building techniques, old school stuff, right? Pounding it out by hand over the wooden molds, um, fiberglass replicas and stuff. Um, then they knew that Chevy wouldn't consent to them making these 57s to compete with the 58s. So let's just take one quick second here to, to straighten this out, because they claim that they made 200,000 fake 1957 Chevys between 1957 and 1967 at a factory that they just produced or they just purchased on a whim out of thin air. And they're creating them by hammering metal over wooden molds, right? By hand. By hand. They're making 200,000 cars in 10 years over this time without GM knowing about it. Right. Because apparently you can just buy auto factories. Yeah. And the reason this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. As we found out with Preston Tucker, that was just so easy to do, right? Yeah. So, all right, this has so many different things. Now they're creating these knockoff cars, right? That they can't, that they can't sell as new. They can't sell as new Chevrolets. They sell them as used Chevrolets in in great condition, right? Because they yeah. are really brand new. And they say that you know they were extremely sought after by used car dealers because they were in fantastic shape. Of course, they're not a true Chevrolet. And I also saw something about pirated Chrysler engines and chassis that were used for these. Uh, so yeah. you're talking about a '57 body, a '57 mm-hmm. Chevy body on a Chrysler chassis with a Chrysler engine. 
Right. And it's this knockoff that, you know, it's not going to be perfect if they do make one. Like, so, so, let's say it was like a kit car almost. Right. Pretty much. No way. But I mean, it wasn't really a kit car because they're building them at the factory. So they're trying to sell them as new. There's just so much with the story, Ben. It's, it's so crazy. They, uh, they finally claim yeah. they were forced to close, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, how about this? Uh, how about if this were true, they would be under the jail. At least, uh, at least Ardell would. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, how about this? If you're selling cars, uh, what about the taxes? You know, Uncle Sam wants his cut. Yeah. Uh, how do you report the revenue? How do you pay these people? Uh, where's the chain of ownership? Where are the serial numbers? Absolutely. There are just so many and, reasons. And maybe the biggest thing here. Now, yeah. this is the, this is the huge, like the one glaring, glaring mistake here is that, you know, the 57 Chevy is, is coveted by, by anybody who's a collector. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, an iconic American car. People yeah. love this car. Not everybody, but people love it, right? Never has one of these counterfeited cars ever turned up anywhere. No one that, uh, that anybody's ever contacted or talked to has ever been able to say that's a fake 1950 Chevy that was produced in Jacksonville, Illinois. I think it was Jacksonville, right? Yeah, but, uh, Scott, I think we can both agree that clearly that's because GM and Chevy purchased every single one of them and scrapped them. Oh, of course they did. Yeah, that's how these uh, these conspiracies work out, right. right? But but no one can ever say I've seen one, I've driven one, I owned one. Sure. Here's one down the block, you know, that yeah. my my neighbor owns. There's not one in a museum anywhere. Nope. It does, I mean, and supposedly there were two hundred thousand of these things that were built for ten years, ten mm-hmm. years without GM knowing about it. I, I just don't understand. And and then GM at the end of that said. We'd really like you guys to just shut down. So, uh, yeah. you know, in 1967, no harm, no foul. in 1967, there was no big, uh, you know, huge thing that's, you know, like a big court case or anything like that that anybody would have heard of. It just didn't happen. Well, uh, those 57 homemade Chevys, those 200,057 homemade Chevys are, of course, as we know, uh, evenly divided. They're government transport cars now. Half of them are at Area 51 <laughs> and the other half are just uh, used to drive around that enormous warehouse from Indiana Jones. And there might be one on the moon. Well, yeah, there's one on the moon. Of clearly. course. Of how course how else are you going to get around the moon? Yeah. Walking yeah. like yeah. a jerk? And not that lunar rover that they <laughs> told you about back yeah. then, right? No, <laughs> that's a cover that's, story. There, there's no way. No way. <laughs> What's All right. Next? So I've got one that's, uh, and I, you know what? Let's kind of zip through these last ones. Okay. How about that? Yeah. I, and I do have one. There's one here that's that's that was kind of false or was a legend. And became true. So okay. I don't know if that'll hook you or not for the, uh, for the end of this. But, okay, here's one. Not not this one. This one is a legend. It's called okay. it's called Push Vroom, and I'll go through it quickly. Um, a stranded motorist gets more than he bargained for when he asked for help push starting his car. Okay. And this one goes back to the early 1950s. I think around 1956 is when this one first started kind of making the the rounds in newspapers mm-hmm. because it was a kind of a funny story. And this is kind of a... Uh, an idea about the new, in quotes, automatic transmissions, because they were relatively new at the time. Yeah, manual, fangled, manual sure. transmission had been around prior to that, mostly. Um, it has to do with the motorist that has a dead battery in a parking lot. They can't, they, you know, the guy says, well, we could push start it if it was a manual transmission. Mm-hmm. And then the guy says, well, wait a minute, I did hear that you could push start an automatic transmission, but you're going to have to get up to about 30 to 35 miles per hour, so I'm going to need a push from your car. And the guy, you know, the other motorist here is, you're going to have to get up to 30 or 35 miles per hour. So they kind of line each other up in the parking lot, mm-hmm. you know, bumper to bumper, yeah. ready to start the pu- the push procedure to get up to 30, 35. And the motorist behind starts to back up. 
and backs way, 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 way back. <laughs> and the other motorist is confused at first and doesn't realize what's going on, thinking that the guy's leaving. Oh, and no. then the guy starts accelerating towards the car that is stalled or start, starts the yeah. car with a dead battery. And that's when the motorist realizes, I said 30 to 35 miles per hour is how fast you need to go. This guy thinks he needs to, to impact the car at 30 to 35 oh, miles man. an hour. And uh, in this story, you know, it goes back to the 50s, as I mentioned. But, you know, as... You know, as these types of things happen, you know, it just came about one day when someone was just kind of in an offhand way at a, a newspaper, had space to fill, and made kind of a, a joke, you know, never intending it to be a true story. Well, then it gets picked up by some other news source, and then before they can print a retraction, AP picks it up, and it spreads throughout the country, wow. if not throughout the world. And this happened almost immediately, and it's one of the, like, one of these early cases, I guess, of where something like this happened. And they can pinpoint it and say, like, well, this guy just made this up and mm-hmm. printed it and went to here and then it went to here and then it was everywhere. And we still see this one pop up online occasionally. So it comes back. It's called Push Vroom if you want to look it up. <laughs> and tell your friends yeah. that it's not true. Yeah, that's a funny one. Yeah. Uh, okay. You Do you want to go? I've got, I've got like, one more. Why don't you go ahead? Oh, I'll tell you what. I'll go again and then uh, and then we'll hit yours and then okay. I've got a couple other funny yeah, ones. Yeah. So, um this one has to do with uh, insurance claims, and these are, again, funny emails that get passed around a lot, you know, like a list, uh, various um, kind of crazy insurance claim statements that people make when they have to summarize an accident in as oh. few as few words as possible, and they eliminate some critical information that makes the statement exceedingly funny. Also. Sure. Tree dashed in front of me, refused to move. That's exactly right, Ben. You know, things like that. So, you know, some funny ones, and I'll just read a couple. I thought my window was down, but I found out it was up when I put my head through it. Uh, <laughs> things like that. I, I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. Uh-huh. Uh, pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Uh, that guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I hit him. Things like that. You know? <laughs> and, you know, these, these appear here in the United States. They appear all over the place. It's They're- like a, uh, uh, after, after forcing me to drink alcohol, a deer jumped through my windshield. Exactly. Yeah. And these things have been around since, you know, the, I mean, the earliest days of the automobile and, and insurance, I guess. Yeah. Um, just to give you an idea, from London, uh, there was, there was an insurance, uh, list of insurance claims like this made from the 1970s. And I think a stand-up comic used some of these in his uh, in his routine. Oh, yeah. And some of them were like, and I'll show you how similar they are, the ones that we hear now. Okay. Um, a bull was standing there and a fly must have tickled him because he gored my car. <laughs> uh, the accident was caused by me waving to the man I hit last week. <laughs> uh, coming home, I grabbed, I, I grabbed into the wrong house and collided with a tree that I haven't got. <laughs> and the last one, I guess, is I knocked over a man. He admitted that it was his fault. He said that he'd been knocked down before. So, you know, just odd little statements like this that, you know, mm-hmm. you take out half of the information and you put together what's left in it and it just becomes comical in the way they put it together. There could be some truth in some of these, but they're just trying to make it, you know, fit their uh, the parameters, like 10 words or less or whatever it is. I had heard, yeah, I had heard one before about a, um, this is going to sound terrible, but I used to, I used to work for a brief time with uh, some insurance companies Mm -hmm. and I would get calls from people when they had accidents and try to help them sort their stuff out, get an adjuster out to them and stuff. And uh, we had some pretty, we had some pretty strange claims. Um, I bet. Yeah. There were people who would call and ask for uh, legal advice, you know, definitely can't give legal advice. Why would you call your insurance company? You know, I got some, I got some folks. There was this one guy who called from Ohio and he said, yeah, uh, it's like, yeah, I, uh, just got in an accident. I don't want the police to be involved. I just wanted to let you guys know I'm going to need my car fixed. And I said, well, sir, what's the accident like? And he said, 
oh, I don't know. They're a, they're a few miles behind me now. Oh, I'm boy. just going to keep going. Oh, no. <laughs> so he called in a hit and run. Oh, my God. He called in his own hit and run. On himself. Mm. Asked me for legal advice. That is bad news. Yeah, and then cursed at me. All right. So you want to you want to hit me with the uh, the last yeah, one here? Okay, you're familiar with this one. We cover. I think we may have covered this a little bit already. Scott, have you heard that um, early in the days of public transit in the United States, uh, the major metropolitan areas were lousy with uh, efficient electric train cars? Yes, and that uh, the story goes, or the urban legend goes. That um, automotive companies and uh, Firestone Tires, I think, yeah. uh, conspired to buy up and destroy these uh, public transit systems so that they could sell more cars. Now, I'm going to let you do the honors on this one. What do you think? Oh, that's absolutely true. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, I still, I, I just had to bring it up because it sounds so tinfoil hat. There's even a name for it. It's like the, the great, uh, rail car conspiracy or something. Yeah, the I'm, great, uh, trolley conspiracy. Something, something like that. Yeah, we've talked about that yeah. in the past on this show. And I think we have an article on our website, I believe. Mm-hmm. On, and on you can see the, uh, yeah, and you can see a documentary about it called Who Killed the Electric Car? Now, before you go thinking that we're painting these guys as huge villains, um, there are there are quite a few questions on the other side. Like we do know that they did buy up these cars, but then there's a great question about how successful the electric train system was at the time. Mm-hmm. How long it would have lasted without that intervention? It is, however, true that they were found guilty of conspiracy in court, for which they were charged the uh, life ruining fine of one dollar U.S. Yeah, that was uh, well. You got to put yourself in the time, Ben. Right, and calculate for inflation. I mean, my gosh, what was one dollar in the nineteen? Uh, what was it? Thirties, forties? Yeah, I think you could buy Kansas. Man, one dollar. That was a exceedingly high fine, even for back then. <laughs> anyway, right. that's fine. All right, so I've got uh, I've got just three more to All wrap right. up with, and, and tell you what, I'm going to do two of them super fast because okay. I think the one I want to get to is the one that has turned true. That was originally a legend. Great, and um. I'll just I'll summarize summarize these. I'll give you the name of them, and uh, and I'll let the listeners look them up. I think maybe that's okay. the way to do it because these are ones that everybody's heard of in the last five years. All right, all right. This one is called uh, the unkindest cut, and this is where thieves lie in wait under victims' cars and then render their victim helpless oh, by slashing their ankles. Yeah, I think everybody in every town has heard this tale mm-hmm. of. Uh, it's usually. A female at the mall late at night yeah, walks out to her car. Or yeah, somebody reaches out from underneath the car, slashes her ankles, and uh, you know it either ends with uh, rape, robbery, uh, murder. In some cases, you know, yeah. all kinds of bad things happen. Yeah. And uh, we hear about this happening at malls, and it goes all the way back to like the 1970s, I think, uh, when these kind of urban legend strings kind of go around. And there's a, I mean, they're all over the United States. I mean, everywhere. I mean, Ohio, North Dakota. Indiana, Maryland, California, it's everywhere. I mean, I've got a long list here in front of me, and you can find it on Snopes.com. Uh, but it is a false thing. And that's not to yeah. say that it hasn't ever happened, because I believe there was a case um, in, uh, I want to say, boy, I'm going to tell you, it was, uh, it was I want to say the 1990s, but I could mm-hmm. be wrong on that. It did happen. Oh, no, I'm sorry. In 2008, someone did actually uh, have somebody hide under the car in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, it happened to a woman at a mall, I believe it was. Um, so, it, but it rarely, rarely happens. And, right. It's and, not an organized tactic. And the main theme about this one, Ben, and think about this, if you think about this carefully, and I hadn't thought about this prior okay. to this, 
it, it comes back to a childhood fear. It's one of those morality type under stories. Under the bed, huh? It's a, it's the boogeyman under the bed. And and I hadn't thought about that until I read it in Snopes that this is the boogeyman under the bed coming to life, I mm-hmm. guess, or you know, in the adult form. The next one is called Lights Out, and that is also false. I can just put that out there. Oh, I think I know this one. What is this one? Is this uh is this the uh, gang initiation idea? This is okay. So in this urban legend, um. You'll hear multiple gangs named as the source of this, but the idea is that the gangs uh, carjack a vehicle and they have an initiation with one of their newest members in the car or their would-be member, and they just drive down the road with their high beams on. No, no lights on. Oh, with no lights on. No lights on. Oh, and it's the first person who flashes them. I heard it was drive with the highs on, but drive with no lights on, and the first person who flashes them, they chase that car. And then they kill the people in it. Yeah, that's right. And you've got a variation on that, which I had never thought of, Ben. That's a, that's, that's the thing. These things adapt along the way. So right. you may have heard the, uh, the, the high beam thing. I heard they drove with the high beams. I have always heard it with, with no lights on. And then people would give them the courtesy flash. But, but you're right. With high beams, you do the same thing, don't you? Mm-hmm. So again, that's just another indicator. But I can tell you the first time I heard about this, Ben, was in the 1990s. And I was working at, I was, Different time, Ben. I was working yeah. at a, a landscaping nursery. Yeah. And someone came back from lunchtime, I think. They had gone into town, into Auburn Hills there in town in Michigan. And they came back and said, I've got something i got to tell all three of you while you're here. Um, they just came into the bar I was in and made this big announcement. The uh, Auburn Hills police are telling you to watch out for people with their lights off at night. You don't want to flash your lights because it's a gang initiation and they're going to kill you if you do. Wow. And it happened to somebody in this state. You know, It was like mm-hmm. over in Indiana or something or in Illinois or wherever it was. And uh, it, was, it made a huge impression on me. And it kind of went around like that for a long time, you know, word of mouth. And then it went online when that became popular in the late 90s, I'd say. And it's always something like, my cousin's dentist therapist exactly. told me. Do you know, Ben, that just... I mean, I'm not kidding. One week ago, someone was driving down the road without their lights on, and I, I flashed the lights on and off to them to, to tell them their lights were because they were coming out of a, an area that was well lit. I see you like to look and dangerously. I did that, and my wife went crazy. <laughs> she said, she said, what are you doing? Don't ever do that. And I said, I said, that's just a rumor. It's an urban legend. Yeah. I tried to tell her, and this was literally like seven or ten days ago when this happened. Oh, we had, this, your battles. we had this big discussion about it. So anyways, it's called Lights Out. You can look it up on, on Snopes.com. Now, the last one, I know we're going long here. We've talked oh, almost no. an hour about this, but I think these are interesting topics. I hope they are. Um, this is one that has kind of turned true in mm-hmm. a way, and uh, it's, it's called The Lost Wreck. And it's about uh, work crews that discover decades-old wrecked car with, uh, with several skeletons inside. And there were ca- accounts of this happening all the way back into the 19th century in a different way, though, not with, a, with not with an automobile like you might think, or like a horse and buggy. Well, it's a it's a Scandinavian tale. It's a Scandinavian legend mm. that goes back to um, a hunter who's out in the woods hunting. He's shooting for grouse, I think, and he uses a bow and arrow. So you can, it tells you how long ago this was. He's right. using a bow and arrow, and he shoots into the woods, and he hears a clang, and he goes to investigate what that clang was. And as he pulls apart the brush, he realizes that he's just discovered a church that has been abandoned since the days of the Black Plague. Oh my gosh. And he found this abandoned church somewhere out in the, out in the middle of nowhere that was abandoned. And this is the exact same tale that leads to something along the lines of, um, you know, finding a wreck that has been submerged or in the woods or mm-hmm. just somewhere relatively easy to find, but no one has come across it yet. And there's people inside. And the, the underlying tale with this one is that, you know, people have a fear of 
somebody not missing them when they go when they go missing. That you know, how long will it take before someone finds me if I do go missing? It's kind of a lost at sea type thing, really. Yeah. But in a in a uh, I guess in an urban environment, really, mm-hmm. or semi rural or whatever you want to call it. But um, there are a few of these tales that have become absolutely true. Within the last, I'd say, 20 years, maybe 30 years, wow. 20, 25 years. And this begins, and I'm sure that there were other cases of this, and this is where I'll kind of wrap up here, I promise, uh, where it's true is, and I can think of three cases since 1990 all the way through last year when this happened. I think I can add a fourth pretty soon. Can you really? Okay. Maybe. All right. See. All right. So there's a, there's a woman named Susie Roberts um, out of Gainesville, Georgia, who disappeared with a friend while they were on their way home from a dance in the nearby town of Dawsonville, uh, one day in 1958. And although the friend's body turned up a year later, uh, Robert's body remained unco- undiscovered until I think it was 1990. So that's 32 years later. Oh my God. Uh, when workers were building a bridge and they found, uh, they found this car and pulled it out and it contained the remains of it. She was in Lake Lanier. She was in the bottom of Lake Lanier for 32 years in this car and they had no idea where she was. Um, another one is, uh, this is, um, this is the one that we've talked about this on this podcast. Hmm. Something happened with this story when I was in Florida, and I don't remember if they actually found the van or they discovered the skeletons or whatever, but the story is that um, Kimberly Marie Barnes and four of her friends, so there's five people in this this van, uh, they were in Palm Beach, Florida, and they were going to, um, I think they were going to a concert, I believe, and they were they, it was like a summer evening, 1979, they just completely disappeared, vanished off the face of the earth. No one knew where they were until I think a fisherman found a van in a um, in a canal, something like 18 years later. So it was like 1997, somewhere around there, when uh, they found this this van buried, and they were about ready to crush it. And just as the guy was ready to crush it, he was moving the the crane into place or whatever, and I think a skull popped out, or a, a, I'm sorry, a leg, I'm sorry, a leg bone. Oh man! He spotted a leg bone inside the van. And then they kind of investigated because it was full of mud and everything. Mm. They found five skeletons in the van. It was definitely this uh, this Kimberly Ann Barnes and wow. her four friends. And something with that story happened right while I was in Florida because it was yeah. all over the news. It was a huge deal. Um, and then the last one, I promise I'll wrap it up with this. In September of 2013, and this is going to be one that's fresh on everybody's minds, I, I would hope, um, there were some uh, highway patrol officers who were testing new sonar equipment in Foss Lake in a remote area of southwestern Oklahoma, and they discovered two submerged decades-old cars that contained a total of six human skulls and matching bones. So six people in two different cars in the same lake, and they were just feet apart. Do you remember this? Yeah, but do you think, do they think it was accidental? No, it was definitely accidental. It was just, it was super muddy water, like it was completely yeah. murky and, and muddy and, and covered up, and it was right off the side of the road. And they found one vehicle, and as they're testing their equipment, they found another one right next, right next to it. And the cars been one disappeared in 1970, the other one disappeared in 1969. So one just predates it by one year. They were both found in 19, and sorry, in 2013. So 43 and 44 years missing, and uh, just an unusual story. One of them was a, um, one of them was a 1952 Chevy. And the other one was a, um, I believe, it was a '69 Camaro. I think that they found. So you don't think. You don't think there was any skullduggery there? Oh, absolutely not. These are two people that drove off the road, ended up in the water, knocked out, and then died, drowned. Yeah. But they just happened. The cars didn't collide. The car went was fully wow. submerged. No one was around to witness it. 
and no one thought to look for tracks the day of or the day after. And then when it rained or whatever, it washed it away. It's washed away, and no one ever found that until um, what forty three, forty four years later. Now you know this. Uh, as as frightening as this is, this makes me think of an episode we should do in the future, which is how to escape a submerged car. It's a very good idea. Yeah. A very that's an excellent skill to have. Yeah, and it does take skill. Yeah, um, the most difficult part, of course, of escaping from a submerged car is the same difficult part of any emergency situation, which is not panicking and keeping your head and moving yeah. in a methodical fashion. Thinking clearly, which is easy to say here. But yeah, when right. it's happening, nope, you can't do it. So you had one more to add, right? Um, oh, yeah, one more uh, submerged thing. And this is kind of an umbrella thing, um, which is tangentially related. Uh, submarines. Since uh, the since the advent of submarines, right when we started seeing a lot of mass production of submarines, especially in World War II, culminating there, uh, the problem was that a lot of the submarines, especially those used by Nazi Germany, um, were manufactured. You know, with of course, there's a little bit of secrecy there and occultation because they don't want. The Allies, or you know, in somebody else's case, the Axis, to know how many subs they have, mm -hmm. and uh, they're also it's wartime, so they're doing a lot of experimentation without some of the same safety procedures they would have in times of peace. What this means is that it is completely possible that there are missing um, or capsized submarines down there somewhere in the deep right now that have just never been recovered. And have a full crew. Yeah, and never will be because they rest on the bottom of some of the deepest parts of the ocean. Right, sunk all the way down to the abyssal plain. Or Interesting, it's scary thought. Yeah, man, that's a scary thought. So let's end this. Um, let's go ahead and end this with uh, something a little bit lighter. How about some listener mail? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, Craig C writes into us to say, Scott and Ben. Great show. Uh, I have a 1964 Barracuda that I've been working on for the past 10 years on and off. The car was given to me as the owner was ready to scrap it since no one wanted it. The pictures alone should tell its history, and at times it's been a challenge to keep moving forward on it. Your podcast from 2012 talking about animal cars and painting your car, which I listened to today, inspired me to shoot this email to you. And yes, I do see more Monte Carlos on the road now. Yeah, see, he's looking for them, right? Yeah. You know what? That is a that's a really nice car that he's been working yeah, on. Yeah, you I, saw the photos. Too. I did see them. That uh, '64 Barracuda. Oh, that's yeah, a, that's a beautiful car. It's oh, really it's cool. Curved back windshield. Mm -hmm. um, my uncle had one. My, that's. Uh, I think he had the first Barracuda in Wabash County or something like that in Indiana. Whoa. Something like that. It was there's some story behind Uncle you know, Warbucks, huh? He, well, not not really. It was just <laughs> you know a new car at the time, and, yeah. and he had one. And before anybody else, it was uh, it was definitely a cool design. And I really like the one that uh, that um, is it, Craig. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, Craig, thanks, Craig, for sending that in. I really like the photos a lot. That was really cool. It's a gold color, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Craig, I'm uh, glad that you feel inspired because as we've covered before. Um, it can just be a massive project in terms of time and or money. Well, I saw the early photos from Craig, yeah. and there was, I mean, literally, there were there was moss on the back back yeah. end of this car. So he's uh, he's done a fantastic job. And as you go job. through the photos, you see some tremendous progress oh, made there. Definitely, yeah. yeah it's uh, it's I, I don't know if it's a show car now or not. I couldn't really tell, but it's a beautiful car. It's really nice. Yeah, and we'd love to see more photos too. Definitely. As you, uh, 
as you as you're going with it. Um, so that's it for us today. Our episode on more urban legends, which obviously Scott, you and I find fascinating. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed it too. Visit us at carstuffshow.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are carstuffhsw, and send us an email with your favorite urban legend. Uh, our address is carstuffdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.